How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Dead Jess Productions podcast. I'm your host, Josh, or Jay Moskers. Joining this week, special guest, Jaden from Therapy Connections. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I appreciate you stopping by. I'm excited to, excited to chat up a bit. Why don't you tell people a little bit about what it is you do, what you've got going on? Sure. Um, like Josh said, I'm I'm part of the Therapy Connections podcast, um, which was fairly new. We just started about a month ago. Um, so that's our side project. But I spend my days as a mental health therapist at a private practice in northern Utah. Nice. How did... How does one get into like therapy? Like, I, obviously, you've got to go through some sort of educational process to uh, to be a licensed therapist. What is that process actually like? Sure, um, it's kind of you kind of have a few roads to get there, uh, depending on if you want to do something specific or be pretty specialized. I would say a majority of therapists are social workers and have social work degrees, masters of social work degrees. Okay. Um, which allows you to be to be pretty broad in what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also kind of another route you can go. Some people go like maybe a psychology degree and then get their, it's called their CMHC, their clinical mental health consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go get a specific marriage and family therapy degree. Um, so there are a few different routes to get there if you want to specialize in certain things, but I would say a majority of them are going through a social work bachelor's and master's program. Interesting. And then doing a lot of hours to get more licensed. <laughs> I, I feel like anytime you, you follow a career path where it's uh, you're helping other people with, you know, either physical or mental issues, like any form of doctor or anything like that as well. It it's super important to have to put in like tens of thousands of hours to really get as precise as possible with it, because a screw up can be very damaging as opposed sure. to something like I do with marketing where it's like, Oh, I screwed up our, our Facebook ad didn't go live on time. That's unfortunate. It, <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's a lot less risk involved in, uh, in what I do than comparatively to, to what you do. Yeah. Maybe it, low stakes, I guess. Yeah. Not that your job's not important. I'm sure. It's not the most important. I'll be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I work with larger businesses and help them sell their products. It's, it's not even products okay. people really need. It's it's mostly furniture and, you know, um, yeah, extra, ex- just extra, uh, you know, people with extra money laying around. It's, yeah, not really necessary, but. Well, I've been out. running the social media for our business for just over a month now, and it is mm-hmm. a lot of work. It can be. I, I, I do. I work with uh, two different businesses at a time right now, and it's a lot of. You know, obviously the content for like Facebook, Instagram, yeah. and so on. I, I do some posting to Reddit, but I just can't be bothered with it because it's like, this is just inviting uh, content that I don't need <laughs> in response. Sure. Uh, but then a lot of it's like website building, outreach to other companies to help you know, okay. collaborate, things like that. So it's it's interesting what goes in. It's not what I expected when I started. Because I, I, I started in uh, February, I switched jobs. And, okay. Uh, I got started. I'm like, oh yeah, it'll be mostly just posting to Facebook and Instagram. And I start working. I'm like, oh, oh, you had a lot more in mind than than what I thought this was going to be when you. Yeah, like fully rebranding but, people. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's fun. Yeah, very cool. Um, uh, with what you do, I imagine you have to be a little cautious about like naming specific 
circumstances. Is there any like particular cases that stand out to you as far as like what you've done? Um, you know, I mean, this might be, it's kind of intense. When I, my first therapy job was with, um, adult sex offenders who were like mm-hmm. court ordered to be in treatment. Um, and so that was my first job and kind of my practicum getting my hours in. I'm just finishing up my master's degree. And those were really interesting, like not very fun, but really interesting and kind of really hard cases. Yeah. Um, and now I've moved into this private practice and everything compared to that seems a lot less intense. <laughs> so when I think of like what stands out, I think the biggest shock to me was just like the population I get. Like I would say a majority of my clients are young moms, like in their early t- mid 20s a couple of guys in the early mid twenties, but very much that generation and a lot of moms. That's interesting. With the, uh, like the sex offenders, is that, was it different because they were ordered to be there as opposed to somebody voluntarily coming in as well? Or maybe they were less inclined to be cooperative. That definitely, uh, played a role and some of them did want the treatment, wanted to be there. Um, Mm. But yeah, a lot of them didn't and were just kind of going through the motions because they had to go through 18 months plus of treatment to like appease mm-hmm. the courts and get off parole and do those kind of things. And um, so it was a lot of them was showing up just to get it over with as opposed to actively seeking out help. Yeah. And a lot of my time, I feel like was spent trying to get them to buy in like, hey, look, I know you have to do this, but you could really get something out of it if you tried. Hmm. It's. Has there ever been like a, I know you said it was like the moms and things like that and more family oriented. Have you ever dealt with anyone like uh, like tow truck drivers or anything like that? Because it's shocking what <laughs> they've gone through at times. Because I know like a lot of times they're the first responders at accidents, sort of. Oh, sure. And they're yeah. the ones like, you know, not to get too more, but like they're, if people are in like particularly gruesome accidents, they're the ones cleaning it up a bit, you know, and firefighters oh. and things like that. I had never thought of that. I do have a... Yeah. Uh... I do have a client who's a firefighter and EMT. So he comes in with to him, very like normal day on the job stories. But to me are like, Hey, do you realize this is probably traumatizing? Like and pretty gruesome. I know when I was in, I think I was still in high school at the time. I don't remember. I, I went out to a uh, Penn state campus. Uh, Cause I, I live in Pennsylvania here and uh, I have family that live out there. And one of their friends was a professor at the university. And I don't remember if, like I said, this is a long time ago. I forget if he was the one actively working on it or if one of his students made it a project. But they were sitting down and like interviewing soldiers coming back from like the Middle East. And there's people from like different age groups, I remember. But just listen to them talk about like, you know, their experiences dealing with like people getting killed from like IEDs and things like that. It's like, I just remember even then I was like, this is kind of insane yeah that's that kind of stuff's really intense and it's like a very hard population of people to get to want to go to therapy sometimes Mm -hmm. um first responders military people who probably could really use the help um Mm -hmm. and getting them to like want to get the help it's it's a i don't know it's kind of a catch catch 22 a little bit when i talk to this guy who's a firefighter we talk about it and he says a lot of these guys want to get help or know that they need it, 
but are worried if like one of their higher ups finds out they kind of just get like they could have the potential of lose their job because then the they can see oh they're not fit they're not mentally well so they're kind of stuck between do i address my mental health issues or do i lose my whole career and that can be a hard choice to make i'd assume do you think people uh, my assumption is yes but obviously i'm not in this line of work do you think there's also that part of uh like public sort of hazing maybe i don't hazing might not be the right word but it's you know it's kind of looking down at people sometimes like oh you need therapy like are you that weak-minded maybe like that sort of negative connotation to needing it that yeah. might prevent people from coming in yeah for sure um especially with men who mm-hmm. i think predominantly make up first responders and military people um there still is a lot of stigma around men seeking therapy and still i mean therapy in general it's getting better but it's mm-hmm. definitely it definitely is still there and so there's a a wall for a lot of people they're like well my wife's grandparents, so I say therapy's for crazy people. I'm glad we have it. Like I'm glad that those people need it. <laughs> like, well, there's probably something we could all benefit from, but there that mentality still exists. Is there like a scenario in which, like, maybe not a scenario, but what's like a good example of like maybe somebody realizing they needed it, but they overcame like like I said, like the the stigma around it like what, what would you say is like a driving force people realizing like okay i definitely need this is like they're a resource you use to really try and prove to people that it's something that might benefit them i honestly think the best thing is not anything i can do actually but mm-hmm. having someone that they know and someone that they trust right like another military person or another <laughs> emt firefighter police officer whatever it is who's like part of their brotherhood, right? Someone they look up to or respect and is like, Hey, I got therapy and it really helps. Like, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times it takes that for them to be like, you know what, maybe now I, now I can do it and not feel like I'm weird or alone or different or not tough enough. Hmm. Interesting. Is there, I was going to ask too, like, I know with some previous careers, like I've had with like advertising, there's always the more, gimmicky like grifty side of things sure like you know people that are like oh you know just buy this big advertising package and we guarantee you you're gonna get you know (laughs) results is there that does your profession have that sort of a side to it too like are there people that do that like is it possible like i don't i don't i'm not familiar enough to explain it well that's a good question um i think definitely yes my mind goes to like uh in, in the therapy, in the social work world as a whole, there's like a big emphasis on evidence-based practice is what we call it. Okay. So like things that are research proven to work, right? Mm-hmm. But there are definitely like the equivalent of like your V-shred at, at YouTube ad, right? Where it's like, okay, this mm-hmm. is probably something that he's just selecting as because it's cool marketing gimmick, right? Some kind of treatment like, I can't think of any specific off the top of my head, but a lot of like, uh, oh, this modality, I know you haven't heard of it, but it will like solve this. It'll erase your trauma like in six weeks. Hmm. Like come come to my practice. I'm trained in this obscure thing. Yeah, um, That's probably the, the closest equivalent I could think of. I've heard of like, what about hypnotherapy? I know nothing about this. Like, is that something that actually works on people? That's a good question. I actually don't. I'm not sure. I've heard 
I've had clients tell me they've done it and had really good results and other people tell me that it was stupid. <laughs> um, so for lack of a better word, but, um, I guess if it works and it's, I don't know if it reveals the right word for it, but like if you're, if you benefit from it, I guess it's fair enough to, to try something out. Even yeah. If it's that, all, you know, just like a mental thing where it's, you're tricking yourself into feeling better almost. Right. And that's kind of the hard thing about, um, even with like evidence-based models, some things don't work for some people. Like everyone mm-hmm. responds so differently to things. So sometimes it really is a matter of let's try this, this, and that until we figure out what sticks for you because it's going to be different than what stuck for my last guy. Yeah. I think it's hard too in any career. If you don't have, if you're offering something to somebody and it's not like tangible, it's yeah. that much more difficult to really sell them on it. Like, if you're a doctor and you're and you say like, oh, I can, you know, fix this like scar on your arm and you can show pictures of like this is like previous work I've done. This shows like there's no remaining scar. You look good as new. Sure. You know, like if you work in a field like where you're selling a physical product, it's easier than selling the idea of, you know, like advertising. Like I can sell you the idea of people coming into your store, but I can't physically pick people up and set them in there and force them to buy things. Right. Look how much happier this guy is like before and after. Yeah. It, it's just it's a picture a, of him standing there. <laughs> right. And one he's sad and one he's smiling. Yeah. We'll do black and white and one in color. But I think uh, that's where, like I said, like this word of mouth thing comes in like from people you trust. But it, it is hard to be like, hey, look, our practice has good therapists because we have success with specific things you and it's hard because you can't get really specific because of like all the HIPAA laws which is good mm-hmm. but I can't be like hey I met Johnny and he was traumatized by some horrible thing when he's a kid and now look he's better because we did this this and that like it's all protected by law so we just have to be like trust us it's really helpful are there scenarios in which like say somebody gets recommended are they allowed to come in with that other person and are you then allowed to talk about that other person's experience then like if they're allowing you to? Yeah, there's a, um, a release of information. It's like a legal document they have to okay. sign. Um, and typically it's used for, hey, you can talk to my doctor so you guys can go back and forth about what you notice and what he notices and meds and those kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. Or like a spouse. A lot of times they use a release of information for a, a partner or a spouse. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you could put anyone's name on there if you wanted to bring in a friend and talk about their yeah. stuff. I was going to say, like you said, with like soldiers or th- something in that vein of things where it's, you know, like, oh, this is, you know, my my CEO told me like this would work for him. Sure. You know, I was thinking about like what kind of stuff you guys talked about and how if that same sort of thing could benefit me. I imagine if he doesn't have that release, he'd have to kind of skirt around this, this subject a little bit while trying to provide similar care if that's what they're interested in, maybe. Yeah. And you, and you could be like, hey, yeah, we, we I worked with this person like. Uh, cause they recommended you obviously, but, and we mm. did, we did EMDR and some CBT things and restructured thinking. I could, mm. you could probably get away with that. It just would be, I couldn't oh, okay. be like, oh yeah. And he told me about this time that this thing happened and we addressed it this way. That'd be probably too specific. Mm. Yeah. It's, I don't have those restrictions where I work. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> having to like to, for me, it's like, oh, I'm going to go and here's all the pictures I took. All these people volunteered to be in these photos by, you know, when they started working here, they, they knew they were going to be on camera. Right. It's, it's just full release, just everything just out in the, the ether. 
there's a lot more or there was a lot more red tape. I used to work for the state before I was a therapist mm-hmm. doing child protective services. And then that's like maximum red tape. Working with the sex offenders was pretty high red tape because it was like a state government contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and there still is in a private practice, but I do have a lot less. I have a lot more wiggle room and freedom with what I want to talk about and what yeah. I can say and stuff like that. So let's say you get like a new client that comes in. Uh, how how do you start that out? Like, how do you get, like maybe they're sort of on the fence, like they don't know if they really want to be there or not, but they, they're just trying it because maybe it's like a, they're just trying to look for an out to try and fix a problem they have. How do yeah. you start with somebody? I always tell people like when they come in that the getting to the first session is the hardest time. We have so many people who like will book an appointment at two in the morning probably because they're they can't sleep and they're all upset and all up in their feelings and then cancel it the next morning or just don't show up for their appointment um so i tell people like start off look if you can make it this first time you can make it every time like you did the hardest part already um the first session is a lot of kind of assessment questions just getting Mm -hmm. to know the person getting to understand their problem and if you do it poorly, it can go wrong really easily, right? Because then it can just feel like almost like a doctor's visit where I'm like, do you experience this? Do you experience that? Yeah. How does this feel? Right? And that, I don't think that's very helpful for getting people to want to come back. Um, so I try to frame it in like a, I'm getting to know you. Tell me about your, tell me about your life. Tell me about your partner, your job, your kids or whatever, right? What's going on? What do you do? Um what are you feeling? Why'd you want to come to therapy? That's always a good question. Why here? Why now? Why here? Um, and try and make it like, give them the opportunity to explain, Hey, this is who I am. This is why I'm feeling like I need some therapy and get to know them while also mixing in the assessment questions I have to ask so that I can get a diagnosis for insurance reasons, but I don't tell them that. Right. (laughs) And it's genuinely helpful to get to know them. I don't, I don't want to make it come across like I'm trying to trick them, but I really yeah. think it's the most, a lot of pretty much all of the research ever has shown that the most, the most important indicator of successful therapy is the client's relationship with their therapist. Hmm. So building that relationship is like priority number one. It's not like, obviously the things, you know, and your experience, those things all help, but yeah having the a good relationship with your therapist is like your number one indicator of having a successful outcome. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask too, like, is, is it more important asking open-ended questions as opposed to yes or no? Like getting them talking, I imagine is, is very important because at least then it's your, you have the conversation going. If they're the longer they're talking, the better it can be. Is, am I on target with that at all? Or is that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's like, nothing more painful for me than when I spend like the whole session talking and sometimes I have to do it. Sometimes it's just what you got to do because all that they could do was get there and they know they need it, but like they're so locked up and frozen. Mm-hmm. And so then I have to spend the time talking at them, basically trying to make them feel more comfortable and chipping away at walls a little bit. And with those people, the most important thing I feel like is getting them to come back for that second session. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, generally like if someone's willing to talk, I'll give them all the room to talk. I mean, it, the longer they're talking, the more likely, again, this is me guessing. It seems like the longer they're talking, the more likely it is they say something that helps point you in a direction that you might need to go as far as helping them. 
even if yeah. they say it completely by accident for whatever reason. For sure. It's a lot of uh, listening skills, paying attention to things, because I think what pe- a lot of people don't realize about therapy is you'll spend a lot of time. Sure, you might come in for, hey, I'm really anxious. I have social anxiety or I'm depressed or I have this trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of therapy will be spent on. Let's talk about like the way you view yourself, the way you view the world. Um, we call them thinking errors, which is basically like self-deception. Like, okay. what are you, where are your irrational thoughts at? Where are you kind of lying to yourself? Where are you need to be more honest with yourself? And not in a bad way, but if we can be a lot more accepting and of, of who we are, our life, our situation, those things that uh, we tend to feel better in a lot of areas. Is that a thing? Is that a common thing where like maybe people experience loss and now they're just kind of lying to themselves about it to push away the grief maybe? Sort of. The big one with grief, I think, is like people don't really, not really coming to an acceptance of it or uh, what we call like inappropriate guilt, right? Like I feel bad Hmm. because I didn't spend more time with this person or maybe like the case where someone took their own life, right? Like I should have done something. I should have been there for them i should have noticed the signs like kind of all these things that we we trick ourselves into really believing that are not helpful and not true Mm -hmm. i know that was that was something i kind of dealt with fairly recently as well like i had a family member pass away i'm sorry to hear that yeah thank you and uh it, it was one of those scenarios where it's like you can see the writing on the wall for like months on end leading up to it you know it's gonna happen but it's just Mm -hmm. a matter of you know, when, how sort of thing. And is interesting seeing the different members of my family processing it in, in different ways. Um, and then kind of on a different tangent, there was a, uh, I forget what it was called, but it's these people who are like on Reddit or Facebook and it's, it's expectant mothers who've had like miscarriages mm. And they refuse to admit that they're not pregnant anymore. And they're saying like, oh, I'm like three years pregnant, two years pregnant. Oh, that's that interesting. Sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, not that that's something you've worked with specifically, but like that style of, of like grief. I don't know if that's something that you've worked with in any regard. I, like I haven't seen it personally, but I, it very much is a, like stuck in the denial stage of grief, right? Like to a pretty mm-hmm. extreme extent, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that the story I saw in particular, which led me to investigating this was like the guy's wife, girlfriend, whatever, uh, had been pregnant. They had the miscarriage and she was really like grief, grief stricken by it. Sure. And she was posting about it on Facebook or something maybe. And they sent her to a lot of these people like rallied around her and sent her like, Oh, go to this person. They'll talk to you about it. And this person convinced her no, it just seems like you've had a miscarriage, but you're definitely still pregnant. And they just kept leading her on and on and getting, she kind of got wrapped up in this echo chamber of denying it. You know, it's like people aren't three years pregnant. That's just not a thing. That's so interesting. uh, It's just this group of people. Like I said, I forget the name of it, but yeah, they just refuse to admit they're no longer pregnant. The guy ended up having to get a divorce, I guess, because she got angry at him for suggesting that she wasn't pregnant like two years later. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that definitely falls under one of those categories of like ways I've tricked myself so that I can cope. Mm-hmm. And 
we all do it in other ways that maybe aren't so extreme or obvious as that, but like learning to recognize, wait a second, this is the reality of the situation and being okay with it, like learning to accept it. Like, right, if this lady could accept, yeah, I had a miscarriage, that's objectively really sad. Mm -hmm. Um, But my life is not over, right? I don't need to be pregnant to be happy um, or to continue on with life and those things. And instead of ending up in a spot where you're like, no, the only way I'm happy is if I keep this baby. And that's why I'm pregnant. I've been pregnant for three years. (laughs) It's, it's interesting, you know, how people deal with different, different things and seeing the lengths they'll go to to try and remedy situations. Um, Yeah. Our brains are really powerful and come up with the most creative ways to like survive and move on day to day. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where a lot of these problems stem from is they are very creative in a lot of ways. They're really amazing, but they do cause us a lot of problems. Hmm. Uh, Kind of going back. I know you, at the beginning we were talking about putting in the hours and doing everything you can basically to get reps in and, and work with people. What is the process like when you're first getting started, like trying to get experience? How do you go about doing that without, uh, like an example, like let's say you're like, you're, you're trying to gain experience. You're working with somebody. How do you, how do you work with that person? Knowing <laughs> no that experience. You experience? Yeah. Like how, how, do you, yeah. how do you go about that? There's definitely like a big imposter syndrome at the start and probably kind of forever. Um, mm. All the ther- like the therapists I've talked to and the therapists I work with who have been doing it for eight, nine, ten years are like, yeah, I still feel like imposter sometimes, right? Who am mm-hmm. I to have someone come in here and tell them how to solve their problems? But mm-hmm. um, basically, if you, I mean, if you have a social degree, you you have a lot of options. Not everyone wants to become a therapist, and there are lots of avenues of other things social workers do. Um. But if you want to go become a therapist, typically you'll do an internship or a practicum or start somewhere with an agency. And they literally like, here's the basics. Here's kind of where to start and just throw you in and you just talk to people um, and then meet with your supervisor, right? And be like, hey, this is what's going on. And they say, okay, well, this is how I would address this. Here's this theory. Here's this principle. Um, they teach you some skills in school, like basic, like motivational interviewing, some basic, like cognitive behavioral therapy, triangle, right? Thoughts affects feelings, mm-hmm. affect behaviors, affect thoughts. And it really is like, I don't know, at least for me, it was like one of the scariest experiences because I, I really felt like, like, okay, here's your, here's the curriculum for these sex offenders. So they need to work through all of these things and check all these boxes and do these polygraphs and all this. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Good luck. <laughs> And then you do that for until you graduate. And then after graduation, it's different every state. Um, here in Utah, it's 3,000 hours before you get fully licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, when I graduated, I had to take a test. And then I'll take another test after the 3,000 hours. But with the interns we have working, they've gotten rid of that first test. So they only have the one after. But hmm. it was 4,000 hours. Now it's three. They change it, I swear, every two years probably. <laughs> yeah, it's- I can I can see how that can feel very like ominous almost where it's just like all right we're gonna throw you to the wolves and just yeah it was kind of helpful that I started in that I know this sounds weird it was helpful that I started in like the adult sex offenders program because the things they have to go through are specifically like dictated by the state so they've got this very specific Mm, curriculum procedure yeah it came from somewhere out east from some university. 
it's called cognitive behavior intervention for sex offenders. It's like very specific. So that was really helpful because it like taught me a lot of therapy skills in a very structured way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, not the, to excuse what they've done, but I'll, typically someone who is in that situation has a lot of the same trauma and problems. Other people, they've just acted out in like a really heinous way instead of getting, I mean, an addiction or those other things that are serious, but not so frowned upon, I guess. Maybe not as damaging immediately to other people. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not so, not just such a serious way to act out, right? They're not just going home and laying on their couch and scrolling Instagram for 30 hours a week, right? (laughs) Like, and just shutting off. So which is which sucks, but it's definitely not it's not illegal and it's not damaging anyone besides themselves. Yeah. 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 So I guess going back even further then, like how did based on like all the stuff like going into it, like what made you decide like, oh, this is something I'm interested in getting involved with and making a career out of? Yeah, I uh had this idea when I came out of school that I was gonna be going to sports medicine. I don't know why. I took a sports medicine class and liked that. I never had like, I was never growing up. I never was like, Oh, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much liked to play video games and hang out with my friends. Like that was the extent of my high school experience. Mm-hmm. And so I got to register at Weber state here in Utah. And, um, I was looking at sports medicine and I realized I hate all these biology classes. I don't <laughs> want to take them. I don't, I don't like biology. I'm not good at biology. Um, so I don't know why I want to do that. So then I sat and thought, I was like, okay, what am I, am, what am I good at? And, uh, I was like, well, I like talking to people. I'm, I'm good in social situations. I like teaching things, but I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. So I just was kind of scrolling through cause I had to pick a major just to register for, for college. Yeah. And, uh, so I saw social work, I Googled what it was and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take, I'll pick that. I can always change it later. Um, took the intro class. I really enjoyed that. Took a few more classes and I was kind of just sold. I got a job at about like during my first year of school at a crisis home for kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, yeah, I could do this. I could do this field. I could be in here forever. And I liked the flexibility of it because I've always gotten bored with things. So I liked the ability to kind of get a degree and have a lot of potential jobs and opportunities instead of just kind mm-hmm. of getting a degree and being stuck in that one thing forever. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was, I I can appreciate the going to college and then not being entirely sure what it is you actually want to do. I was in the exact same boat. Like I thought, Oh, I like graphic design or like I, yeah. it'd be cool to be like a doctor or something. Like I went, I was at UNC taking like biology classes and it was in the same boat. I was like, man, I, this is not for me. <laughs> right I was, and then I was talking to the professor afterwards I was like yeah I have no idea what's going on here I yeah I gotta be honest I don't know what's happening I think so many people are in that boat but you get like in high school they're like pick your college pick your career like have this path it's set a, it's a weird age to be like dictate the rest of your life go right I totally agree yeah whenever like, I get clients who are in that spot and like I get a lot of like I said people in their 20s who are like I don't know what I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. and I just tell them like you're not supposed to know what you're what you want to do. Some people do, but like they're the outliers here. Like yeah. if you want to go to school, go to school, take a bunch of intro classes of things that interest you, and follow what's follow what you like, follow what sticks. Mm-hmm. There's things I enjoy that I wouldn't want to make a career out of because it would For ruin sure. it immediately. 
like graphic design was one of them. I enjoy that. But when I was at NC State for that, I was like, oh, this is this is ruining it. I don't like being told like what to do as far as like I don't yeah. like being forced having the creativity forced upon me where it's like, oh, this is what we want you to make. It's like, oh, I thought I was going to be able to just make cool designs and and help people. Out <laughs> right. I think about that a lot because I think we kind of live in like a time where everyone's talking about like monetize your hobbies, basically. Mm-hmm. And so like I've done, I used to like do like custom art and sell it on Etsy. And yeah. like I tried like doing a video game YouTube channel for a while and mm-hmm. had like some moderate success. But I'm like, now I don't want to do art anymore and I don't yeah. want to play video games because now I feel like I'm like I'm forced to do it. I'm responsible to do it. So yeah. I cut back on both those because then I, they can stay my hobbies and I'll just do my job. <laughs> yeah, I ended up going to a local university. I, I went to three different schools. That's just how confused I was about what I wanted <laughs> to do. I ended up going to a local university for computer science. And I was like, oh, I like, you know, video games. I like video game design. Like, I yeah, I can't remember what it was. There was a program I used that was like a very, like, very basic, like, video game design. Uh, sure. Like, thing where you could make little, like, layouts and things like that. And I was like, oh, this will be cool. So I'm for computer science. I thought, oh, this will be good. I can, like, code and whatever. Yeah. And I, I still use coding on a daily basis for my current job. But I hate it. It's It's the worst. <laughs> sitting there just looking at lines of just essentially gibberish on a screen. Uh And it's like, after a while, it's like, oh, I figure out, like, you know, like, oh, this is what this means. This is like this line of text. This is how this affects whatever is appearing on a page or whatever. But it is, it just, it's mind numbing. It's, it was horrible. I hated it. I took one uh, coding class at at Weaver State, just kind of the same thing out of curiosity. I like computers, I like games, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'll take a coding class. And I very quickly figured out after I had to spend all night making like recreating Pong that it was not for me. (laughs) My brother does a lot of, I have my brothers and my, I have two brothers and two sisters who are all in, I guess now three brothers, he just started school that are all doing like web development, cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And so they're all like always in discord, like sharing their screen, talking about how to fix code. And I'm like, yeah, this looks like a nightmare. Yeah. I I bet if I'd stayed in school for it, I'd, I, there'd be plenty of job opportunities for me, man. I for sure. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you were saying too, like starting a YouTube channel up, like we did that. I mean, we still have our YouTube channel, but I haven't uploaded to it in ages. I mean, we did Twitch streaming during the pandemic, okay. you know, yeah. I, I was streaming for eight or nine hours a day, seven days a week. Cause I just had so much free time. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I literally couldn't work. Our company furloughed the entire staff. Cause they're like, we, I, I went, my job was going door to door selling advertising. You can't really do that during a lockdown. <laughs> no, so, not really. It was nothing but free time. And I was like, all right, this is great. And I enjoyed it. And then after a while, I was like, oh, this is really taking all the fun out of playing games. Like I don't get yeah. to experience the game. It's just a job. I, I started my YouTube channel during COVID as well. I'd worked for a local school district, like working with behavior kids. Mm-hmm. And the schools shut down, but they like, had already budgeted to pay us throughout the summer. So mm-hmm. I got paid from like March to August when the next school year started without having a job. So I was like, oh, now I'm going to live my dream, right? And become a video game YouTuber. But I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, I hate like playing for clips and like editing mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. So well, I don't I, hate editing. I do it for the podcast, but. I was going to say like, I enjoy it. Individually, I enjoy every aspect of it. Yes. But when it's like, like I said, spending eight or nine hours streaming and then be like, all right, I would 
I would take notes throughout it. I'd have people like taking clips for me as well. Yeah. Uh, like, all right, save that. And I'll later on, we'll edit it and upload it and whatever. And we, we ended up hiring an editor for a short period of time and we'd be like, all right, here are the clips. You know, everything's already like good to go. You just need to download them, trim them up just a tiny bit, make them look a little bit better. Yeah. And, uh, and set, put it in, I think we just use Dropbox or something and just send it back over to me and we'll be good to go. And we'd pay him for that. And it was great, but it's just after a while, it's like, man, this is a lot of time investment. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not really loving the, the you know, playing the games anymore because I don't get to enjoy them. No, I think uh, that happens to almost all of us. When we monetize our hobbies, you end up, they not mm-hmm. they don't have hobbies anymore, right? They're not things you're doing for fun. They're things you're doing because you have to. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I've been tempted to get back into it just on my own time, like scheduling it to be like, all right. Here's a few hours here and there. I'll do it so I can chat with people. Because, I mean, like I said, we were, we were relatively successful for what we were doing. But I yeah. think a lot of it was because I invested so much time and effort into it as well. I and that's what it takes. It again. Yeah. It takes that consistency. Yeah. And, like, I don't... Now, I think the last video YouTube video I uploaded was probably a few weeks before my daughter was born. And I haven't touched it since. Because I'm like, I don't have the time to mm-hmm. play six hours of rainbow six to get clips to then put into a YouTube video. Yeah. I've been so tempted lately though. Cause especially with like with the new job, that's what I do on a daily basis is like filming things. <laughs> sure. Now you're a pro at it. I'm like, Oh man, I'm really enjoying this. It's like, I, I kind of want to do this again. Like I'm for my own stuff. Yeah. But then I'm just like, ah, but I just really don't want to spend all my time doing that again. We'll see. It's funny. We'll see what happens. I uh, kind of had the same. I've been doing the editing and all the, like AV stuff for the podcast we're doing and had the same thought. I was like, I should get back into my YouTube channel. Like <laughs> I've got the subscribers there. I don't need to start a new one or anything. And I sat down to edit like another video and I was like, ah, I'm, I just don't have it in me. Yeah. Cause I, I know like I, we have a lot of like old content that I could just edit and upload and it's not like relevant to like, it's not topical or anything. Sure. I could put it up and just see if people would enjoy it or not. But then part of it is like, well, it's it's me from like five years ago. I don't know that I really want to upload that. I'm a very different person now. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, stuff like that. I'm just like, also, this, I sucked at filming <laughs> five years ago. Like, I wasn't doing it professionally. It was me with like my phone kind of waving it around wildly. Like, and then, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, one of the things I did want to touch on here before we before we get to, to the end of the show is like, how, how are you transferring like your career into you know, your podcast and, and like what, what led you to creating the podcast? So I've always been interested in doing a podcast of who knows what, right? I think everyone who listens to podcasts is like, that'd be fun to do one. Yeah. And, uh, I started this job and, um, I really just meshed with the two owners who are my co-hosts on the podcast. Okay. Um, and it was, the business is fairly new. It's only a couple of years old at this point. And so we were talking about what do we do? What do we, how do we grow? What do we, what do we want to do? What's like ways we could expand? Um, and part of like the mission of the company was to have something for like community outreach, um, mm. something free for people, right? Because therapy is expensive in a lot of situations. Um, yeah. And so it kind of served a dual purpose of this will be fun. This is a way to expand what we do and kind of get the, as well as get the word out there for people who maybe are interested in therapy, but don't can't afford it or want something between sessions to like mm-hmm. keep them refreshed and things. 
Um, and the, my Josh and Shara are the their name. They're the co-hosts and the owners of the company. And they've been great. And they just like, I, I'm a head in the clouds, kind of like lots of ideas all the time. And they always listen to my ideas. And they're like, yeah, you want to do a podcast? Let's make it happen. Sure, let's do it. You want to do this? Yeah, that's great. So <laughs> that's kind of how it started. That's how, how it came about. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, what would you recommend to somebody that's like on the fence about getting therapy, that, but they're not sure about it yet? What is the, do you have like a piece of advice you'd offer them? Yeah, I would, I would just say, make that appointment, get that first session in. Like it's the scariest, hardest one, just because there's so much unknowns or so many mm-hmm. unknowns rather. And I think what you'd quickly realize is it's not as, uh, it's not as scary as you think it's compared to like what we see in the the old days when therapy psychotherapy first became a thing in the movies with like the guy on the couch laying down and all that mm-hmm. it's very it's a very personal thing now and i i think it's a very human interaction i think Lots most people are probably <laughs> yeah probably i haven't recommended <laughs> one yet so no it's good uh, <laughs> i think uh i don't know just get to that first session like i i compare it to like jumping off a diving board or cliff diving or something right like mm-hmm. when you're up there you'll have that one second where you're like gosh i just do it and you've got to go two, you've got to shoot them those are two very different things i, I think like cliff <laughs> diving to like diving off a dive it's like one of those you're falling a few <laughs> feet in the water the other you're jumping off a cliff <laughs> well some people are uh, scared of diving boards right like fair enough yeah i'll jump off a diving board i don't know if i'll ever go cliff diving um yeah. but when you have that one second where you're like oh fine i'll just go you got to jump or else you're going to be, you're just going to turn around and walk down and walk a shame out of there. But there's no walk of shame in therapy. But when you have that feeling like I should just go, just, mm-hmm. just do it. Just get that one session and see if it doesn't help. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I was, I, I did think of one other question I wanted to ask quick. Sure. Do you, being in your career now, this is the thing I noticed from, from some of my past jobs is I see things like differently than I, I would have before. So like, let's say, do you, if you watch movies, are you a bit more analytical of them if they're based around like uh, mental issues and characters <laughs> like Shutter Island, for example, is, is one that had popped into my mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A different view. Yeah. Now that I'm, I'm a big movie fan and I have like a hard time multitasking when I'm watching a movie, I get like lasered in, mm-hmm. but I do, I, I don't know, like there's a show on Hulu called The Therapist and so... I watched that and from a very, like, I probably enjoy it less, honestly, because I'm like, okay, well, a therapist <laughs> would never do that. Yeah. Uh, and seeing, like, the depictions of mental health, I definitely am, like, I guess, hyper aware of this is accurate and this is this is a stereotype and this is not helpful. It's it's interesting watching other people depict, like, your career. Yeah. And, like, it, it's like, oh, this is, you, you could hear somebody, like, you, you watch, like, a, a film, and or like let's say you watch like steven spielberg in general like all of his films and you're like oh like he he must have done a lot of research on this you know like yeah like boxing or whatever you know like you know the military and then he gets to your area of expertise and you're like oh it turns out this guy <laughs> is just making movies and you're like oh maybe not though everything else for fact yeah yeah for sure uh, that's that's an annoyance i have now with with films is seeing all of the very blatant product placement Having worked in marketing. <laughs> all now. the marketing. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, this is all really obvious now, actually. It's weird that he threw the guy into the back of a giant Coca Cola truck that's perfectly clean in a city of destruction. 
<laughs> right. And the, everyone's yeah. driving BMWs in the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you just notice stuff like that more. It's like, oh, I would have done the same thing. I would have told them, yeah, park it so the logo's right in the middle of the frame so everyone sees it. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Stuff like that. It, it you do it take some of your like, magic away. Yeah. Yeah. That and just, uh, <laughs> like Christopher Nolan films. Like having worked with like podcasting and a lot of audio editing and stuff, and I'm like, this guy's sound mixing is terrible. <laughs> I can't figure that one out still because he makes such good movies, but like you yeah. can't understand half of what's being said in Tenet. I, no, his movies are, are are really really fun and really enjoyable, and it's like I can't hear what's going on. No, and the, the music, music is, is so loud. loud. The vo- the vocals are really quiet. Yes, and everyone's wearing masks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, what is it? Uh, Bane. Uh-huh. It's like, who gave the guy wearing a, a voice changer mask a microphone? This is a right. terrible idea. <laughs> and like, like again, all of Tenet, like the whole intro scene, like I've all got those masks on. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's all, it's all muffled. You can't tell what people are saying. It's just, it's so frustrating at times. But <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I, I really had a fun time having you on. I know we have to wrap up here. Uh, oh, I appreciate you having me. It's been fun. To check out all your stuff. Um, we're on YouTube at Therapy Connections. Um, you can search it up or just youtube.com slash at Therapy Connections. Um, Facebook and Instagram, we have, uh, it's called Healing Connections Counseling. That's the name of the brick and mortar business. Um, and I can I can give you a, a link tree to all this stuff and if that's easier for people to find. Yeah. So you guys can go through the description, click on through, check it all out. And you can go to digesterproductions.live. Check out our sponsors, G95 Apparel, Surfshark. The links are in the description. I am I got an email finally asking me why I wasn't plugging them during the show. It's been a <laughs> month. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm terrible at it. I'll, I'll do better. But thank you so much for coming on, man. I really, I really had a good time chatting. This was, thank this you. was a lot of fun. Thank you and for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been episode 173 of the Digest Productions podcast. We'll see you all next time. Bye.